welcome listeners and followers of Ufahamu Africa and the Monkey Cage. This is our third installment this year in the African Politics Summer Reading Spectacular, a series on new books in African politics. Tune in every Monday when we'll feature this summer's book series. You can also read the reviews every Friday on the Monkey Cage's website. I'm Kim Edeon, one of the hosts of Ufahamu Africa and an editor at the Monkey Cage, a blog on politics and political science at the Washington Post. I wrote this week's review of two new books on urban politics in Africa. Africa is urbanizing. Here's what that means for politics. With urban areas as the epicenters of the novel coronavirus pandemic, a new report this week framed how the virus challenges states and societies in Africa, the world region experiencing the most rapid urbanization. On average, an African country south of the Sahara has grown from 15% urban 60 years ago to 40% urban today. Some countries remain largely rural, like Burundi, whose urban residents account for only 13% of the population. Others have urbanized more rapidly than the African average, like Gabon, where the urban population grew from 17% in 1960 to 89% today. The new UN Habitat report on the coronavirus and its disease, COVID-19, highlighted how the products of poor urban planning, widespread informal settlements, undersupply of services and infrastructure, can facilitate the spread of the virus and exacerbate its adverse impacts in African cities. The poor conditions urban Africans face betray analysts' expectations that urbanization would change Africa's political and development landscape. As more Africans entered the middle class, became educated, and moved to cities, analysts expected this new crop of middle-class urban voters would shift African electoral politics away from favoring co-ethnics and toward policy-based electoral competition. How does increasing urbanization in Africa change or not change politics in power? This week's installment of the African Politics Reading Spectacular reviews two recent books with insights on this question. Noah Nathan's Electoral Politics and Africa's Urban Transition, Class and Ethnicity in Ghana, and Jeffrey Pollard's Democracy in Ghana, Everyday Politics in Urban Africa. Both books examine in detail the experience of Ghana, a leading democracy in West Africa, whose urban residents now make up a majority of its population. Here's what we can learn from the study of politics in urban Ghana. Urbanization in Africa isn't the cure-all for ending ethnic politics. Ghana has established political parties, a peaceful history, and a well-educated population. Urban Ghana's large middle class and high ethnic diversity should support a shift away from politics where a voter's ethnic identity predicts their vote choice. Nathan's book begins with the sober assessment that although these conditions would support transforming from a clientelistic system, one in which benefits from the state are tied to political support, toward more programmatic policy-based elections, the evidence shows that ethnic competition and clientelism are still thriving in Ghana. Likewise, Pollard's book opens with vivid narratives of the difficult conditions in some neighborhoods in and around Accra, Ghana's capital city. These difficult conditions and political clientelism persist despite the presence of highly competitive elections, active civil society organizations, and communities regularly engaging in collective decision-making. Nathan attributes the persistence of clientelism and non-programmatic politics in Ghana to an urban politics trap. In a compelling and elegant diagram in the first chapter, Nathan outlines the urban politics trap as a product of multiple forces. The state's inability to meet the service delivery challenges created by urbanization, how state capacity constraining politicians' ability to credibly commit to delivering programmatic policies, policy-oriented citizens opting out of voting in elections, and subsequently, politicians incentivized to campaign on non-programmatic, often ethnic appeals to voters. 
The urban politics trap is not a permanent condition. Nathan doesn't think the urban politics trap he has identified is a permanent condition. His book ends with a discussion of similar cases in the Americas, including the early to mid-20th century United States, where machine politics and clientelism continued even after the middle class and urban population grew. Nathan marshals these cases to identify potential paths out of the urban politics trap. For example, some U.S. cities were able to emerge from the trap following meaningful civil service reforms, loosening political machine control over civil service jobs. Similarly, the expansion of the national social welfare state freed the urban poor from having to rely on political party ties and related clientelistic relationships once they could access benefits from nonpartisan federal bureaucrats. By looking at everyday politics, we can gain a better understanding of Ghana's democracy. Pollard's study of everyday politics is a window into understanding why clientelism persists or ethnic politics are entrenched in some urban areas but not others. By everyday politics, Pollard means the context of daily decision-making in a neighborhood, how people act, think, and feel about power in their everyday lives. Democracy in Ghana offers rich narratives of different parts of Accra, varying in their pattern of settlement, indigenous, strange, or squatter, and belonging. These different neighborhoods respond differently to challenges requiring collective decision-making and community governance. While the logic in Nathan's book focused on the growing middle class in urban Ghana, Pollard focused his study on poor urban neighborhoods. Pollard's comparison of everyday politics in three neighborhoods highlights the importance of leadership, citizen engagement, and control over urban space in shaping governance and development outcomes. Africa's future is increasingly urban. Together, these books make an important contribution in returning our focus to politics in African cities. Africa's urban population will continue to grow in the coming decades, and these books shed light on how that projected urbanization might transform or strengthen existing power structures and political processes. Whether trying to confront the consequences of the current coronavirus pandemic or the looming climate crisis in African cities, these new books by Noah Nathan and Jeffrey Peller are essential reading to understanding contemporary politics and power in Africa's cities. That wraps up this week's review. Tune in next week when I'll read Laura C.'s review of Negotiating Public Services in the Congo, State, Society, and Governance, a volume edited by Tom DeHert and Christoph Tatega. 